0: Up next is Pete's Ponderings on RCR, reality check radio. Pete's Ponderings is a selection of Pete's candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis, taken from his show, Afternoons. Listen to the live broadcast of Peter Williams' afternoon show at 1pm Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR, reality check radio.
1: We can only hope that the Roy Morgan poll, which for some reason is not taken that seriously by many pundits, is woefully wrong after the numbers it brought out yesterday. For what it's worth, I don't get excited about any one particular poll, but I do follow the poll of polls. But after this result, the next poll of polls will have the Māori Party vote skewed up. I can't in a million years see 7% of New Zealand voters ticking the box for the Māori Party. If they do then, frankly, I'm off as fast as I can get to the airport, because that would mean 7% of us support a party which wants a separatist state where those who choose to identify as Māori can have more democratic rights than the rest of us, because that's what the Māori Party policy is. But just as disturbing, though probably more predictable and understandable, is that the National Party is continuing to lose its mojo, In a time where the cost of living is becoming more exorbitant by the day, and where one cabinet minister or another is in perpetual trouble, the National Party should be lapping the field. Or at least in combination with ACT, it should be streets ahead. But it's not. The axis of the left, with Labour, Greens and Māori Party together, would, in this latest poll, scrape into power. Which would be absolutely catastrophic because of the racist and socialist policies that would be pushed by the Greens and TPM in their agreement with Labour. Now, when local body elections last year, a predicted close race for the Auckland Meralty became, of course, a Wayne Brown landslide. I don't know about you, but I'm ever hopeful the polls this year will be just as wrong as they were for those local body elections last year. Now, I met Tory Farnell once. Guess where? Yep, that's right. It was in a bar. Guess what time it was? I can't be absolutely sure, but it was certainly after midnight. I once made the mistake of spending a Saturday night in Wellington about four years ago with a guy called Sean Plunkett. Uh, He likes a drink too. Anyway, we finished up at some bar in the Taranaki Street area, I think. And Sean introduced me to Ms Farner, who at the time was a big wheel in the Greens Parliamentary Office. We had a lively discussion about politics in the early hours of the morning with no holds barred when it came to expressing opinion. I actually quite enjoyed it. Uh, At the time, I was running a talkback radio show which espoused views 100% the polar opposite from hers. But I specifically remember her saying that her mother, who lives, I think, in South Taranaki, uh, was a regular listener to my radio show, and she even took me outside for a bit of quiet so that she could ring her mother And have me talk to her. It was well after midnight. I don't remember her mother answering the phone, which is hardly surprising. But it was quite funny, the incident. So when the news about Ms. Whanau's antics last Friday night in Wellington were big news earlier this week, frankly, I was not surprised. She's a woman who likes to go out and drink. Well, that happens. There are thousands like her. But should the mayor of the capital show a bit more class than show up a bit pissed at a restaurant on a Friday night? Probably. But it's not a career-ending offence. Asking the waiter if he knew who she was and then saying that as she was the mayor, he could do his thing. In other words, give her a discount for the meal and the wine. I mean, I'm sorry, that's completely out of order. And that's why she should be outed. She should be criticised and she should be laughed at. For the restaurant to cop it on social media for telling details of her visit is just laughable That just shows how tribal Wellington politics is The restaurant's never had such great publicity I wonder if Tori Whanau is planning another night out this Friday Or will she have a night at home in front of the TV? I suspect it'll be the former Have a good time Tori but I wonder what your mother thinks of you sometimes.
0: You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Now, it's two and a half years since Granja Moss,
1: remember her? Granja Moss resigned as the chief executive of Oranga Tomariki. In the early months of 2021. In the end, she just couldn't put up with the relentless politicking which surrounded the role. But when the Irish-born Mrs. Moss left the usual suspects, like the Minister for Children, Kelvin Davis, and the Maori party's Debbie Narewa Packer, made a big play of how OT should offer by Maori for Maori solutions for their troubled children. So, since Granya Moss left, we've had two Māori men running OT, the late Weta Gardner and now Chappie Takani. And what's happened in the last two and a half years? Let me tell you. Malachi Subesh has been murdered after horrific abuse by his caregiver. The chief ombudsman, Peter Boshier, described Oranga Tamariki's response to the abuse as a litany of failures. Then there was the infamous case of Moana in Hawke's Bay. Oranga Tamariki interfered with a happy and healthy six-year-old girl living with a Pakiha foster family after she was removed from her birth mother, because of the upbringing she had had in the first three years of her life, OT insisted her cultural needs were not being met by the Pākehā family, so she had to be taken from the first stable environment she had ever lived in. The case went to court in 2021. Mawana is still with her family. The judge was scathing of OT staff's honesty in the case. And then, of course, on the news last night, the MMA style of fighting at the OT Youth Justice Residence in South Auckland. It was there for all the world to see. Whoever and however Oranga Tamariki is being run these days, it is still not working. And those are just three examples of a ministry that seems unable, incapable of consistently recruiting social workers and supervisors Uh, capable of being trusted and of being honest. Now, I doubt if things would be any better if Granya Moss was still in charge, but it shows that no matter what ethnicity the management of Oranga Tamariki is, the results are still the same.
0: Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. Right now, let's
1: look at some of the feedback, some of the correspondence, which has come into inbox at realitycheck.radio. This is from Paul, Paul Brown. He writes, Peter, if the judges are independent, how is it sentences have reduced dramatically since Labor has been in power and the reduced sentiment seems to line up with Labour's values on crime and punishment. The judiciary is definitely not independent. Thank you for that, Paul. That's in relation to the interview we had a couple of days ago with the National Party spokesman on corrections and on police. Uh, Mark Mitchell. Uh, This one from Jan, who writes, Hi Pete, very good interview with Mark Mitchell. He's got a very good plan, not all of which he can announce. But we need to get behind him and support him and his party. National is going to be the major party in the next government. And we need to stop dumping on them, engage with them, and guide them. It is going to take a massive effort at every level. Sending an offender to prison for his first offence just gets them on the crime ladder. There are community-led efforts that will need boosting. And then uh, this on completely different topics from Stuart. What do you think of Shane Van Gisbergen at the NASCAR in Chicago? Incredible. Of course it is, Stuart. And as for the test at Lords, the Aussies did their best to sleepwalk to defeat, but couldn't quite manage it. <laughs> no, the Aussies uh, were the better team throughout. They were just ahead, frankly, I believe, throughout that match. It was a good game, though. Uh, ben Stokes' heroic performance showed us all what intelligence and grasping the nettle can do. Mind you, he was born in Christchurch. Uh, yes, he was, uh, Stuart. And unfortunately, he left New Zealand at the age of 12 You listen to him speak now, there is not a touch of a Christchurch accent in that Geordie voice anymore for a man brought up in England's northeast after his uh, father went there to coach uh, rugby league all those years ago. Thank you for your correspondence. My address, inbox at realitycheck.radio. My text number is 2057. Now, the Centrix June credit indicator report, which came out yesterday, has some pretty sobering news. It shows just how tough some people are doing it at the moment in this country. 426,000 New Zealanders are behind on their loan repayments. That's 15,000 more than for the month of May. It's the unsecured personal loans and the buy now pay later accounts which make up the main categories of people behind on their debt. But the mortgage and home loan numbers are pretty depressing too. There are nearly 20,000 households behind on the mortgage. 34% 34% more than at this time last year and that could get really ugly as more and more loans have to be put on a higher interest rate before the end of the year the so-called mortgage bomb that the national party's Nicola Willis referred to a few days ago but it seems that uh, fewer people are going into the mortgage market few people are buying houses are uh, home lending home lending rather is down 27% year on year. There's a few other disturbing statistics too. Company liquidations are up 35% year on year and 11.7% of the credit population, that is what they call those with some sort of debt, 11.7% of the credit population were behind on their repayments at the end of June. Now, what usually happens with repayments is that arrears go up around the summertime and Christmas time when people are spending on their holidays and Christmas presents and the like, and they settle down in winter when we, we don't spend as much money, we don't travel as much. But this year, the reverse has happened. And with the interest rates still going up, as ASB and Kiwi Bank indicated with their mortgage rate rises yesterday, There is, I'm afraid, more pain to come. The politicians might not say it out loud, but it looks
0: like this recession is real. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now.
1: Now, we were talking about the economy, talking about uh, credit uh, a short time ago. But one part of the economy, which was most definitely not slowing down last month, was the car industry. In the month of June, there were more cars registered for the first time in New Zealand than in any other month since records began. The total was 23,560, of which 95.5% were brand new vehicles and there were 8,240 electric vehicles amongst that number. Now this is understandable because the clean car rebates went down uh, and the ute tax went up on the 1st of July. So EVs are humming in the market, imports of them we're up 127% to 1.23 billion in value in the year to the end of March. But this surge should come with a warning. You see the EV market has hit the wall in Europe. Volkswagen has stopped EV production at its Emden plant in Northwest Germany and 300 staff have lost their jobs after sales fell 30% short of forecast. A new Tesla 3 is down to £25,000 from £40,000 in Britain in a desperate bid to prop up demand and protect market share for Tesla. The VW boss, uh, the plant boss in Emden, said the company was experiencing, quote, "...strong customer reluctance in the electric vehicle sector." Uh, the reasons are the usual suspects. Power supply is becoming less secure as coal and gas-fired stations, power stations across Europe are forced to shut and wind and solar are being recognised now as being unreliable. The cars are difficult to charge overnight when so many people in cities have to park their car on the street. There are still issues with the range of a fully charged EV. Britain has banned the sales of petrol and diesel-powered cars, new cars, from 2030, only, what, seven years away. The rest of Europe is five years after that. Can those deadlines really stand? EVs are attractive here at the moment because of the discounts, but frankly, I don't think we can afford this
0: charade for much longer. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Now one of the big news stories of the last couple of days has
1: been about this man, Connor Taurapa Matthews, who nowadays likes to be known only as Taurapa, and his most inappropriate relationship with a 16-year-old girl at the exclusive Christchurch Girls' School, Rangi Ruru while living as a tutor and a housemaster at nearby Christ's College. So this man mixed with the wealthy, nothing wrong with that. He was probably better paid than most school teachers. But eventually he lost both his jobs when the relationship with this girl was discovered. But he sounds like an entitled and rather nasty piece of work. He threatened whistleblowers. And when Christ College moved him on because of the inappropriate relationship, he accused the school of racism. But the systems and cross-checking of references meant he was employed not only at Hornby High School after he'd been at Rangiruru, but also at Te Whanau Tahi, which is a Māori immersion school in Christchurch. Now, how could this happen? Surely when an investigation about a teacher is underway, an investigation about an incident or a relationship like this, when that's underway, that teacher should be red flagged across the entire education system, should he not? That's so that he's not employed while the process is followed. And what about this little sentence, which just sneaks into the Stuff story about Toerapa? Quote: Two years later, which would have been January of 2022. Two years later, he joins Stuff as a Tereo translator. He no longer works there, not here, because this was in Stuff. Remember, he no longer works there. Hmm, why not more explanation about that job? Was it full-time? Was it part-time? Did he work in the office? Did he work from home? Was any reference checking done on his background? Or were Stuff so desperate to get a translator for their rather woke journalism, they employed, well, any old groomer of teenage girls? And was that line only inserted in the story after some people made comment about this guy and his relationship with Stuff on Twitter. Stuff are now part of this story, as well as reporting it. I think a bit of mea culpa is called for. Now, Anthony has uh, sent in a link to a tweet from David Seymour. And David Seymour has tweeted the following: Maori Development Minister Willie J of Labour, in other words Willie Jackson, uh, says, "Do Maori have a different set of rights? Yes, they do." And there is an attached video. And this is a video from the podcast featuring Martin Bomber Bradbury, well-known lefty comrade Bradbury, uh, and his weekly podcast panel of Shane Tepoe and Willie Jackson. So three avowed diehard lefties on the same panel, and they were talking about the latest issue in the health sector—that is, the priority that uh, Maori and Pacific are now going to be given on waiting lists. How it will become one of the priority factors? Yes, a minor part of the uh, of the factor uh, of the factors rather that uh, go into assessing who gets to be operated on in our hospitals. But this is the quote that Willie Jackson says on this podcast. That's something the courts ruled on. Do Māori have a separate set of rights? Yes, they do. The courts have ruled on that, and that's because we are the indigenous people, because the most learned people on the land have said we do. So there it is, up front and out loud. Willie Jackson saying that Māori do have a different set of rights, and he claims they have that different set of rights because the courts have ruled on it. I would really like Willie Jackson to give me the judgment where the courts of this country have said a different set of rights do apply to Māori. My understanding is that in 1987 in the Court of Appeal, Justice Cook said the Treaty of Waitangi is akin to a partnership. Not a partnership, but akin to one. Akin means similar to but different from. He also said both parties to the treaty must act in good faith. But those two words of his uh, obita dicta, his, his opinion in the judgment, those two words, a partnership, have led to, frankly, a radical reinterpretation of the treaty, which is unleashed 35 years later, the biggest grab for power this country has known since the colonial takeover of the 19th century. At least that takeover was one which was completely democratic, completely democratic from 1893 when women got the vote. That's where all votes were of equal value. The grab for power these days in the 21st century could destroy democracy, and that's why comments such as Willie Jackson has made on that podcast, I believe, are very, very dangerous. Willie Jackson has said out loud, Do Maori have a different set of rights? Yes, they do. And this is a man who was a cabinet minister. It's quite extraordinary, isn't it?
0: You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio.
1: This has been sent to me. It didn't come through the usual correspondence channels but I thought it was worth sharing with you. It's quite long. Bear with me. It is, quote, from a friend. I don't know who wrote it originally. It came from a friend of mine. No names need to be mentioned, but I think the actual content is worth repeating. Quote, I need to have a rant for just a moment. I'm getting older and I've worked hard all my life. I have made my reputation, the good and the bad... I didn't inherit my job or my income, and I have worked hard to get where I am in life. I have juggled my job, my family, and made many sacrifices up front to secure a life for my family. It wasn't always easy and still isn't, but I did it all while maintaining my integrity and my principles. I made mistakes and tried to learn from them. I have friends of every walk of life, and if you're in my circle, it should be understood that I don't have to remind you of what I'd be willing to do for you." However, I'm tired of being told that I have to spread the wealth to people who don't have my work ethic, people who have sacrificed nothing and feel entitled to receive everything. I'm tired of being told the government will take the money I earned, by force if necessary, and give it to people too lazy to earn it themselves. I'm really tired of being told I must lower my living standard to fight global warming which no one is allowed to debate. I'm really tired of hearing wealthy athletes, entertainers and politicians of all parties talk like their opinions matter to the common man. I'm tired of any of them even pretending they can relate to the life and bank account that I have. I'm tired of people with a sense of entitlement, rich or poor. I'm upset that I'm labelled as a racist because I'm proud of my heritage. I'm tired of the media spending 99.3% of their time talking about how 99.3% of the people aren't considering the exclusivity, the inclusivity of what equates to only 0.7% of the population. I never stole anyone's land. I'm tired of being told I need to accept the latest fad or politically correct stupidity or befriending a group that's intent on killing me because I won't convert to their point of view. I'm really tired of people who don't take responsibility for their lives and their actions, especially the ones that want me to fund it. I'm tired of hearing them blame the government or discrimination or big whatever for their problems. Yes, I'm really tired But I'm also glad to be in the twilight of my life because mostly I'm not going to have to see the wretched, depressing world that these useless idiots are creating. And lastly, because even though I shouted from the rooftops, no one listened or seemed to give a damn. You reap what you sow and so do your children. No one is entitled to anything. You have a choice to work, a choice to stay off drugs, a choice to make something of yourself. I have nothing to do with your choice. That's all on you. You are entitled to what you earn. (laughs) And they're right at the end of this note, this rant. There is no way these thoughts will be widely publicised unless each of us sends it on. Surely the politically correct police senses will try to quiet us. Well I don't know who wrote that I know where it came from but we don't need to mention any names as I said before but I relate to that Thank you for sharing it writer,
0: ranter It struck a a chord with me Our text machine is now live Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057 That's 2057 So get in touch with us now If there's a warning
1: for New Zealand rugby, it surely come from the world's under-20 championships being played in South Africa. New Zealand, as it is at full international level, has always been a dominant nation at this tournament, going back to when it started. Uh, the 21st century baby blacks, or whatever you want to call them, have won this tournament six times since it was first played in 2008. The last time though was in 2017, 6 years ago. But there were ominous signs uh, in 2018 and 2019. New Zealand finished 4th in 2018, in 2019 they finished 7th. Then COVID happened. The event wasn't played for 3 years, 2020, 21 and 22. But now the tournament's back and the New Zealand result is a disaster. New Zealand, the breeding ground for the greatest rugby players and the greatest rugby team the world has known, have failed to get out of their group, not even qualifying for the semi-finals. These are the cream of New Zealand rugby's next generation, yet here they are, unable to match it with the best that France has to offer, losing to them by over 20 points, and only just squeaking past Wales. Sure, they've whipped Japan in their last match, but they had to come from behind to do that. But they, in the end, put 60 points on them. But New Zealand won't make the last four. So now New Zealand's best young rugby players are having to play off again for fifth to eighth position in a 12-team tournament. Hmm. You put this alongside the reality that rugby is no longer the most popular sport for teenage boys, and you wonder if the All Blacks' position as the most consistently winning team and the greatest brand in world rugby can be maintained. Will it even be the case in another in another decade, in another 10 years? When the best of our rugby youth are also Rans for the third successive time at a world tournament, it's not difficult to realise the times ahead for New Zealand rugby may not be like the times of Of the past. We'll see what happens in France in the senior Rugby World Cup come September. Thank you for your company uh, for the last few hours. All correspondence to inbox at realitycheck.radio or you can text me at 2057.
0: I look forward to talking again on Friday afternoon. You've been listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Remember, you can catch Pete's full show combining smooth sounds and candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis and the Peter Williams Afternoon Show on our live broadcasts, 1 p.m. Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. Right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now.